Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners, macabre murders and captivating crimes from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And it's episode 181. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hurrah. How are you, Nick? I'm all right. I'm surviving. Thank you, everyone, for everyone's lovely messages. It's been a bit kind. Picked up a bug that's been going around the office. I'm sorry. You're not too bad, but yeah. yeah, it's been a rough couple of days Just for you. Just been a bit, bit poo, but <laughs> on the mend, Sinead has made me a toddy mainly of, mainly of booze. <laughs> it's just basically a glass of hot whiskey. It's um, hot whiskey, <laughs> lots of lemon and lots of honey. It's going to sort you right out. So I should be bouncing off the walls by the end of this episode. <laughs> yes, at the time of recording, this was coming out a tiny bit late, but we know you guys understand. It's fine. It's all it good. Is. You have your hot toddy. Mm. I have my pre- Cocktail, cocktail, and a groany, but it's not a groany because no. I ran out of Campari, so I improvised with Aperol. Rookie error. I know, but it's quite tasty, actually. Yeah. So I think I prefer yeah. it. And is now sort of the want with this podcast. There may be cat interruptions because we're There's surrounded by kittens. Yeah, my, my older cat is just likes to walk by and scream because she's not getting enough attention. Dia will climb Nick's leg and Frank will just sort of roll around being Frank. But okay, you're going to survive. You're going to um, survive through the probably, story. I shall probably make it through the story. Nice, nice. And then God knows. Oh, okay. Well, any poisonings this week? Me, apparently. You? you. Me. Me. Oh, you've, Me. D- you've taken on too much with all of the buying. <laughs> so much buying. <laughs> so much Googling. Is, is it literally that? Is, that? is it a bug? Or have you got some sort of Victorian ladies fatigue because of all of the purchasing you've yes, done? <laughs> I've got, I'm, I'm suffering horribly from buyer's thumb. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crept up through your arm and into your brain. Go through and my phone and going, what have I bought? I don't know. Ah. <laughs> brain melting. <laughs> so that's possibly what it is. Well, speaking of having buyer's thumb and needing a fainting couch to cope with all the stuff that Nick has bought, yes. I think it is time for us to thank our delicious Patreon subscribers. Absolutely. I'm sure they've been buying many exciting things too. Now, the first one, I must say, well done on your name. Very good. The Nebulous Mistress. Oh my goodness. I like it. I, I actually like had a tingle there. I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to Donna Sue Flores. And to Scarlet Angel. Oh, Thank Scarlet. you very much. Oh, look, it's a cat. <laughs> Is Dia climbing you yes. already? Hello. <laughs> Did you join Patreon too? Did you? <laughs> Did not see your name on there. You owe me money. <laughs> 
adorable. Thank you, delicious, sexy, sexy Patreon subscribers. Very good names. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, we had fun on Patreon this week. We did. Yes, we told a tale of a of a brutal murder. Ooh, and strangeness. It was your story, Nick. <laughs> the bicycle person stole a lamp. Oh, yes. <laughs> We could blame it on the illness, I but think... this happens every week. <laughs> oh, it's dreadful. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm like, I have no idea what we did two minutes ago. Did we do that one? Oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> there was much mayhem involving Mabel bicycle Matthews. lamps. Mabel dear, Matthews. Dear old Mabel Matthews and her bicycle lamp shenanigans. She was killed for it. Yes. She was, indeed. It was a thrilling story. If you want to know what the hell we're talking about when it comes to Patreon, please consider joining us on patreon.com forward slash The Poisonous Cabinet. There are extra episodes every single week as well as lots of bonus content. We've got a new batch of video highlights coming out very soon. We haven't recorded on video this episode because Nick is sick. And yes, he went, it's not no. a good look. <laughs> he didn't, not, he's like, look. Not, not for camera, no, no. I haven't done my makeup. <laughs> Whereas I weirdly did do a lot of makeup today because I was doing videos all day for other things and now I'm like, fantastic makeup and it's wasted. If you can support us on Patreon, we really, really appreciate it. It helps to continue this show and also it's a great place to support other creators that you love. Well, Nick, are you ready? Mm, I think so. To drink cocktails and talk about poison? Yeah. Or we could drink poison and talk about cocktails. Yes, I don't know. You don't know. You're going to have to make a decision for me today. <laughs> okay. I think maybe we should have a cocktail <laughs> okay. and then see if it kills you. Yeah, it may well do. Who knows? Okay, good, good, good. Well, let's go with the first one. Okay. Poison. Everyone's poison. It's fine. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Well, it is my story this week and we can't, we can't, we can't possibly have a story without a cocktail in hand. As you know, dear listeners, every week we choose a secret ingredient that is inspired by the tale that we tell and it will flavor our cocktail of the week. So, this week's secret ingredient is... A handsome cab. A delightfully handsome cab. It's very handsome. Very handsome it is. Yes. No, you struggled this week. I, I gave really you many, did. many, many, gave many me many, many, many options. And yes. I was really struggling. <laughs> really struggling. Even with this one. Really struggling. Um, <laughs> but a jolly old handsome cab. It is a carriage horse-drawn. Horse-drawn carriage. Yes, indeed. around the big cities. Quite. And take you from place to place. Mm, Elegant yes. way of travelling. Well, quite. Yes. Well, with handsome cab mm. as your ingredient inspiration, mm. what have you come up with? Uh, have you got anything sharp next to you? No. Good, because you can't throw things at me. <laughs> I've got a glass. <laughs> what, what I, have you done? I know you wouldn't waste a Negroni. <laughs> well, that, surprisingly, there aren't many cocktails flavoured with horse-drawn cabs. Oh, no, no. So I, would have thought, I thought, in the pursuit of a crime, what would one use a handsome cab for? Travelling. What? But but I, I thought in in a in a but in crime like environment has someone been run over by a handsome cab? One way of using a handsome cab in a crime. To, <laughs> oh, as the to, weapon. As the weapon. Right. Okay. Uh, to... uh, right. I didn't remember this being a weapon in Cluedo, but carry yes. on. Right. Well, you never know. <laughs> or has someone used it as some sort of escape vehicle? Yes. In a crime. Car. So yeah. those those are my those are my two thoughts right. in cocktail. So we are having today. We're having a getaway. <laughs> That is crowbarding with many, many, many oils. Yes. That's what that is. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm not going to yell at you this week because you've clearly had a hell of a time. And I, did, I sent Nick so many options and he went, no, none of them. None of them will work. Next week he'll be like, oh, yeah, they all work. It's not really a getaway vehicle in this story. Well, I, I don't know what the story is. Okay. I had to use my imagination. All right. But I like, yes, a lot of criminals would jump in a cab and yes. people would go, follow that cab. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Oh, to Scotland okay. Yard, cabbie. <laughs> 
No, not the criminal or won't say from, that. Away from, away from Scotland. Away from Scotland Yard, Gabby. <laughs> if they got in, just went, away from Scotland Yard. <laughs> right, okay. I'm really worried about you as a passenger. To the secret crim hideout, Gabby. <laughs> Gabby's just, okay, here we are. Home base. <laughs> Right, wonderful. So yeah. the getaway. So I have getaway. high hopes for this, seeing as it's bollocks. Rude. <laughs> I think it is high time for us to hail a cab and hightail it to the poisonous cabinet kitchen to shake up a storm. So we'll see you in a minute. We'll see you in a minute. And we're back. Hello. So Nick, we have the getaway. The getaway. The getaway. It's it's weird. Was it weird? <laughs> it's sort of brown, but not. Brown, but not. It's brown, but murky. Murky brown. <laughs> the best of all colours, murky brown. I'm just saying what I see. Say it's a see. murky consistency, but you've, you've garnished it with a, with a lump of lime. A lump of lime, indeed. <laughs> a twist of lime. A twist. A twist of lime <laughs> rind? Of yes. Skin? Skin? Peel. Peel, peel. Yeah, that's the word I'm Lime skin. <laughs> you skinned an innocent <laughs> lime. Did. And I crust its flesh. <laughs> Well, that is our want. <laughs> Lovely. Well, what colour would you call that? Amber? But it's, it's, yes, it's an ambery brownie. Okay. It's got a ready hue. Ready hue. <laughs> okay, well, the brown drinks-ish sort of usually serve as well. Mm. And I'm going to guess there's lime in it. Well, let's uh, dive in then. Okay, Indeed. hopefully it will make you all better. Yes. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Woo, okay. Limey. Ooh. Ooh, okay, I like that. Very limey. Very limey. But what else is going on? Other things. There is more than lime. <laughs> I chose the brownest of limes. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, I don't want this just to be lime juice. <laughs> yeah, I, li- I like that because it's nice and sharp on the first taste, but I'm not getting a lot of alcohol. But maybe I'm wrong. Like it, sharp, yep. tangy. Honestly, I couldn't tell you what else is in that though. It's bitter. Yes, there's got a bit bittery twang. Bitteriness, bittery twang. Oh, what's the bitterness? It's not Campari because I don't have any. <laughs> it's not Campari because you don't have any of that. I don't know. I really don't know what's in this. Um, red vermouth. No. Well, there's nothing else in it apart no, from apart no. from bad limes. That's all you've apart served from me. Moldy limes. <laughs> you are just trying to cure your illness with a lot of vitamin C. Yes. I honestly don't know what else is in this. Some Why? lemons. Oh, there's lemon in it lemon, too. There's lemon and lamb. All oh, right, so it's just lemon and lime. Just lemon and lime. Is this Sprite? And other things. <laughs> and other things. How many other things? Uh, three other things. Three other things. Oh, fuck. What? Gin? <laughs> nope. A base spirit. There is one of those. A rum? A rum. Rum. Okay, A yay. dark black rum. A dark black rum? A black rum. Oh, really? Well, Heavy on the molasses. But yeah, not a spice rum or anything like that. So you've got some sugar in there as well. So you've got a bit of sugar syrup. Where? So, well, I think without it, the, the bitterness would have come through a lot more. <laughs> would it? But there is something, there's a bittery twang at the end there. Is it like a gentian? Like like the Suze or something it's like that? It's not a million, it's not that, but you're, you're not a million miles off. Like a vermouth or something? No. no it's not a vermouth, but like, like Benedictine? No. No. Healy's. Yes. Yes. Got it. That's that, not that, a rooty variety. That, that famously bitter drink, <laughs> Bailey. This is pointless. Tell me. Chinar. Oh, the artichoke bit stuff. A bit of good old artichoke. Never would have guessed that. Yeah. Not in a million years. No. Because that's where you get the bittery aftertaste. Chinar, sinar, the thing. The artichoke. okay. Compressed artichokes. Yeah, bitterness. Okay. Okay. No idea. But the third, the third thing. What is it? Some sugar. 
Oh, just sugar. Just a bit of sugar. Sorry. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, we built that up way too much. Right. You <laughs> built that up way too much. <laughs> I built that up way too much. I can't count, I think, as we've so, established. Rum, Gina, lemon, Two. lime, sugar. So, like a twist on a daiquiri? So, yes, it's an artichoke oh, like, daiquiri. Oh, like a grog. Uh, grog with I mean, an added yes, twist. Yes, 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 grog, daiquiri. But, yeah, with the bitterness from the from the Amaro at the end. Well, what do you think of it? I quite I like it. I don't mind it don't like at it. all. I think it is one of those dangerous ones because it is quite citrusy. It is very, very drinkable. It and is. And the bitterness at the end is nice, but it's not off-putting in its bitterness. It's very much an aftertaste. When yeah. you first sip it, you're like, oh, okay, nice, fresh. And then the, the aftertaste comes like 10 seconds yeah, later. Yeah, in there and it's like, oh, that's nice. So, yes, yeah, so no, I think it's one that could be dangerously drinkable. Well, the rum and the citrus combinations always go down mm. well. Okay, the getaway. You got getaway. away with it, Nick. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for more witticisms. It's going to be hilarious. Yes, I think I've worked in quite a few puns into this story. Actually, this is a story I was writing before I was going to go, oh, put a joke in. I was like, I have to stop doing this. <laughs> Some of my jokes are funny, and sometimes even I say, no, no, Sinead, no. That sounded a lot better in my head. <laughs> it's still in my head, Nick, when I write it down. That's how it works. I don't write it and read it aloud. In my head, it's bad enough. <laughs> anyway, well, with the getaway firmly in hand, yes. because we're quite foxed by this. Yeah, like it was it. a successful getaway. Like are you ready for a story? Oh, yes. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. Well... Last week, Nick, we discussed the Napoleon of crime. A dear old Adam Worth. We did, we did. And the alleged inspiration for Moriarty. Yes. Well, this week, we're going to have a look at the Sherlock Holmes <laughs> of Manchester. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> no, it's a thing. It's, it's a, thing. a thing. Is it, is it a thing? It's a thing. A man of the law, crime fighting, crime busting, crime whipping whipper snapper. It was. I mean, that's the kind of thing I wrote right, down, okay. and I thought I'm keeping that in. <laughs> was it, was he, he 12? <laughs> he was for a bit, yes. At one point in his life, he was. Not when crime fighting, I feel. <laughs> but he would become Manchester's first CID superintendent and would become legendary for his powers of deduction, his crime fighting prowess, his capabilities, one of the most famous policemen. Now, based in Manchester, that's why he's the Sherlock Holmes of Manchester, <laughs> but is incredibly famous. We are going to talk about Jerome Caminada today. Okay. Yes. And also some of the crimes that he was famous for working on and the most famous one, the Manchester cab murder. Oh. <laughs> now, oh. have you heard of Dear Jerome? I can't say I have. No. no. can't say I have. When you look into his story, you go, why is no one talking about him? <laughs> As you were talking about the arch nemesis <laughs> last week and his catalogue of crimes, now we're going to talk about a man who was fighting for the side of good. Good for him. And the kind of crimes that he broke up and the way he did them is fucking sensational. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. This man, he is at the same time period as the Sherlock Holmes stories came out. That's the caveat here. When you hear his story, you think, how could he not be the inspiration for Sherlock Holmes? And I don't know whether Arthur Conan Doyle literally was reading this guy's story and going, oh my God, oh my God, you have to write all this down. They absolutely mirror each other in timelines. And everything that he did, it's all true. And you would think this is Sherlock Holmes. If he was based in London, who knows what other crimes wow. he might have solved. Yes. The official inspiration for Sherlock Holmes, according to Arthur Conan Doyle, was the Scottish surgeon, Joseph Bell. Mm. Do you know about him? Incredible powers of observation. He could see everything without glasses. <laughs> 
That's one of the jokes you wrote <laughs> you really shouldn't have done. You laughed. You fucking laughed. <laughs> Joseph Bell apparently could work out where a person was from just by a hint of their accent, the way they stood, their job from their hands. He could work that sort of stuff out. I think one time that it was written about that Joseph Bell concluded a man was an alcoholic because he kept a hip flask or like a whiskey flask in his pocket. I'm like, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> Also a fair assumption, I would feel. He's <laughs> like, you're a pisshead. It's nine in the morning, goddammit. Mm. There's not a lot about Joseph Bell, actually. Yeah. yeah, it's just taken as read that Arthur Conan Doyle said, the man was a genius. And there's really little detail on it. But when you look at Jerome Caminada, ooh, the sources, the sources. I will say, thank God that I found this case because I was having a slight nightmare at the beginning <laughs> of the week. Found a number of brilliant stories for Patreon. Patreon subscribers are going to be spoiled because I have found so many. But, but main episode worthy... They have to be a little bit different. But then I found this, Fate Hands You a Break, and this was in the form of two books, actually. One that we picked up in the lovely Oxford, The A to Z of Victorian Crime. Also, the brilliant book, The Real Sherlock Holmes by Angela Buckley, wrote a fantastic book of all of his case histories. Huge credit to Angela Buckley. I would very much recommend reading that book because it is a riot. So who was this perfect policeman? Who was he? Who was he? I hear you ask. I do. So Jerome Caminada was born in Manchester in 1844 to an Irish mother, Italian father, both immigrants. He was raised in Deansgate, now a rather nice shopping area in Manchester. It's still there, nice, in the northern city. But back then, oh, oh, it was a hive of crime and deprivation. People have made the connections between Caminada and Sherlock Holmes, where Sherlock Holmes had quite a decent upbringing in fictional land. Yes. Couldn't be further from the truth from Caminada. <laughs> he grew up in the depths of the depths of the slums. Absolutely horrible area at the time. Pubs on every corner, brothels in every pub, people crammed into shabby housing. You've got the mills that are opening up in this area as well. So you've got numerous families, four or five families living in one house mm. and all of them having a lot of babies. It was quite horrible. Criminals skipping through the streets. Absolutely. No, no one's going to stop them. No one's going to do anything. Caminada would later describe the area himself in his memoirs as a hotbed of iniquity and vice. And he said, in this great city, we have side by side with enormous wealth and luxury, an inconceivable amount of squalor, misery, degradation and filthiness of life. You said that any big city really can't do. (laughs) (laughs) Now, his family over the years would share accommodation, as I said, with several other families. He was the fifth of six children. Two of his siblings would die very young. And this is a pattern of tragedy, really, that besets the Caminata family. They died in infancy from different illnesses. His father died of heart disease when Jerome was just three. His mother and remaining siblings moved into more pitiful accommodation, mm. surrounded really by filth and misery. It's just, it's pretty grim. A lot of people have over-embellished just how miserable the time was. And they wrote at length about, oh, the slums, absolutely everyone there was mental. <laughs> In so many words, and just was like, okay, it was bad. It wasn't that yeah. bloody bad, but it was it wasn't very pleasant. His mother really did seem to work very hard to provide a good mm, upbringing for the children. She made a good enough life that she was able, at some point, to rent out the lodgings they had to other lodgers and have an income. After the father died, mother would go on to have two other children. No father's name on the birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Tragically, both babies died in infancy. On one death certificate, it was said to be congenital syphilis. And there is some thought that this may have run in the family on the mother's mm. side. And also you have heart disease on the father's side. 
Not a good combo. No. One of Jerome's sisters, when she was 15, died. And it's thought to have been from the same congenital Mm. illnesses. On her death certificate, it read she died of idiocy, tuberculosis, and diarrhea. Right. All at the same time. You don't want that. That's not a good Sunday. Uh, it's very tragic. It's very <laughs> tragic, but that is a bad day. It is definitely a bad day. <laughs> it I'm, was. I'm, I'm a very confused doctor. <laughs> very much so. But people have looked back and gone, no, there was clearly the, an issue mm. there. But there we go, all of that in one go. So despite this very bleak upbringing, where we'd have a lot of the characters who figure on our stories would now have slipped into a life of crime, trying to get away from the sadness of their home life, Jerome absolutely rejected temptation was not going to become a cheeky urchin in the slums of Manchester. His family was strict Catholics and he carried his faith with him for all of his life. He later recalled writing in a school book as a child, evil companions corrupt morals. Mm. Mm. He didn't speak much of his childhood later on, not a very nice time, obviously, a lot of tragedy in there. But he would speak of it only just to say it really, you know, sort of solidified his firm character. He went to school, then into the Lancashire Militia, and then he found a trade for a brief period as a brass fitter, worked in various factories. His father was a tradesman. He sort of slogged it out for several years. Mm. And at that sort of time, you've got to be a pretty strong, healthy individual Absolutely. to survive in the factories. Gotcha. Until 1868, when he decided on a new career. He was going to become a policeman. Nice. Joined the police force. Joined age 23, only too willing to get straight out into the streets. As I said, he is, he was strong. He'd worked in the militia, which is sort of like the, the territorial yeah. army yeah, sort yeah, of uh, equivalent, and in the factory. So compelling figure. He's about five foot eight, so he wasn't particularly tall, but he was strong. Well, he was relatively tall for the time, I think. I mean, that's a good point. I think, yeah, now relatively shortish, but I think for the time, probably... Hefty-ish. Yeah. Also, Italian good looks, but he has his strong Lancashire uh, accent. Good combo. Also, not only a man of considerable physical strength, had to have a lot of mental strength. Because mm-hmm. if you think about, he's going to be a policeman, and he's going straight out on the streets where he grew up. It's going to be a lot of people he knew. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and they're not going to take too kindly mm. to him being a police officer, one would imagine. And he's going to lean into this. He's going to mm. use his knowledge of the streets and the criminals. Now, he never mixed in those circles. Mm. It's not like he was a criminal and then turning against them. Mm-hmm. But he is going to go, no, I am going to clean up the streets. It would later be written of him, the rookeries of the city had no terrors for him. He <laughs> deliberately ran grave risks in order to arrest criminals. Good for him. In his memoirs, he wrote, a policeman seldom forgets his first nights on duty. He has visions of future promotion, (laughs) being anxious to distinguish himself. His eyes and ears are on the alert to everything that passes around, for he is in search of his first case. (laughs) Like it. He also remarked, policeman's life, not a bed of roses. Oh, well, I can imagine not. And let's picture it, him straight out there. And this is the time where you actually have the Bobby's helmets Absolutely, as well. Yeah. And he's there, that crack down on crime. People are going to respect him. God, no, oh, no. no. He's walking 14 hours a day on his beat. And he is going to run in with the sharps, the cheats, the swells, the tarts. Mm. And they're not too happy to see him. Mm. And if he thinks they're going to sort of tip their hat and go, hello, sir. No, God, no, 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 no. Angela Buckley, again, in her book, paints a beautiful picture of the slums at this time period. Fake sailors selling smuggled goods that weren't smuggled at all. Oh, I've I've (laughs) mined these from the shipwrecks from around the world. There's just some tat I found. Spices from the Orient. (laughs) You ground up some trees, didn't you? (laughs) That's bark. It's come from your garden, hasn't it? (laughs) It, All manner of cons on the street. People faking 
seizures to get a penny for a pint. Women saying they were in distress, luring gentlemen down streets. Help me, help me. Then robbing them and kicking them and getting their mates to just, you know, to jump in there as well. Pickpockets weaving through crowds. Women using hired children to pose with them while begging. And... Kamenada, as he was on his beat, was routinely ridiculed, insulted, and punched in the face by people. This actually happened. Nice. In his first week, a pub landlord named Quinn didn't, didn't like the fact that he was paying taxes to fund the police and sort of came out of his business, punched him in the face, ran down the street. Kamenada sort of walks down the street and goes, okay, that just happened. <laughs> Quinn's waiting around the corner, jumps out, punches him again. Going, okay. ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then when Kamenada fights back... The guy bites his hand. He doesn't have a t- any teeth, but Kamenada would say he gummed him pretty badly. <laughs> yeah, bruised no, for a week. No one likes a gumming. <laughs> no one likes a gumming. But then Quinn would later go, oh, it was all in good jest. It was, it was, all, all, it was all just all a joke. fun. Yeah, so couldn't really <laughs> prosecute him. It was like, oh, well, this is a good first week. <laughs> but he continued. He continued to pay his dues and soon his talents were apparent. He used his knowledge of the area that he grew up in to work out where criminals were going, potential suspects in things like robbery cases and con jobs, and he set up clever sting operations very much in their early days to catch out criminals in the act. But by 1872, he had been promoted to sergeant and he had been called up to work in the detective department. Mm-hmm. So just three years on the job, Pretty good he was guy. in there. Yeah. Yeah. He was able it was said, to spot a criminal from their body language. Mm-hmm. The way they moved, the way they carried their bags with swag written across them. No, not really, not really, not really. He had a quick mind, brilliantly making connections between the people he had seen, his knowledge of the area, suspects that he'd come into contact with before, and he was able to piece together seemingly irrelevant bits of information to fill out a picture of a crime while other police officers were standing around going, what's all this then, and scratching their heads. He regularly visited local prisons to look at all of the convicts in the face, would sort of stand there staring at them mm. so he could commit them to memory. I, I will remember your face. <laughs> I will remember you, you scarry Joe, <laughs> and you, one-eyed limpy, I don't think I'll have a problem remembering you, and you, you're a guard, why am I looking at you? Then he did. This is very well. kind of Sherlock Holmes, so there's like committing it all to memory. Mm. So if he ever heard of a crime where a suspect had a particular physical yeah, feature, he would remember it and Someone say, it's this person. scar over his eye. Oh, that was Scarry Bob. I met him at the... <laughs> there are some very good names coming up in this as well. It's good as Scarry Bob. Also, really lovely bit of detail. Very reminiscent of all of the gangster films you may have seen later in the years. The church where he was baptised, St. Mary's. He would use that as a spot to speak to his informants. He would sit in the back pew with his head bowed as if in prayer, whispering away, and someone else would come and sit, whisper away by going, by the way, have you seen anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Who would suspect a church? Many of the cases he was involved with were linked to fraud and con men. As I said, this was rife in the slums Mm -hmm. at the time. And he was known to don disguises. Nice. Whatever was necessary or set up elaborate ruses to catch the perpetrators... Other police officers and, and, and others since as well were just like, well, just do this by the book. He was like, no, no, get me a dress, get me a wig, get me a pair of fake melons, I'll do this. No, he would just disguise himself as criminals and he would use ruses. I'm going to pretend to be one of their contacts, knock on the door of the little dens, the gambling dens or wherever stolen goods would be exchanging hands. And people, people believed it. People mm. just, no one was thinking that this might be a sting because that didn't happen at the time. Well, ra- random side. So you just reminded me of something. Please do. So my grandmother, back in the day, sort of telling stories. 
Okay. Things. As, as you used to go, so used to go to her house after after school. Did you sit around her rocking chair? S- by the pretty fire. much, yeah, pretty much. And she used to tell story. And at the end, she had Alzheimer's, so she told the same story twelve times. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they they drilled in pretty well. But <laughs> right. her, her father was a police officer. Oh, okay. Her father was a police officer in in India. Okay. When they lived in India, and he was a detective, and he she told stories of when he used to go undercover. Yeah. And things, and she, he used to get all disguised up, and her mother, his wife would not recognize him we would come would come into the house and then they would chase out this random looking man and it was her father in disguise coming back from a case or something like that where he had been undercover oh, maybe yeah. maybe they'd learn a thing or two yeah, from kevin so just, just, just yeah just reminded me of my grand telling me their stories no well there you go i mean he was clearly so, yeah. following in the footsteps caminado mm. would pose he would pose as an ailing patient in order to rout out quack doctors. He hated quack doctors. He said they were the criminal bloodsuckers of the human race. He thought they were worse than robbers and garrotters. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting choice. Well, I think that was part of his moral standing, is that these quack doctors were pe- peddling bogus cures. Yeah, they're taking advantage of people who don't know any better and 100 absolutely yeah there was the old thing like you know grow your hair back oh wonderful hair tonic or whatever or or relovelify your face that's one thing but there's also cures for typhoid yeah exactly and cures for for families and children who are who are dying Mm. he would turn up as an ill patient do the full shtick you know (coughs) get the tonics prove that it was all bollocks Mm. it was just water and bran and lentils and things, and then expose them and go back and arrest them for Good for fraud. him. Yeah, I'm liking yeah. this man. He also exposed fake emigration schemes. So again, more poor people who were hoping for a better life mm. abroad, wherever it was, these people would advertise in newspapers and say, yes, you will you will be able to go to these beautiful foreign climates where the, where the weather is good and you will get money and you will have food. Just give us your life savings and we'll guarantee it. He broke up those rings as well. Lots of gambling rings he broke up. And he tackled the likes of, you ready for the names? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Good Lodgings. <laughs> Flecky Sam and his pet monkey. Oh, grand. The Badger. That's uh, not the name of the monkey. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's Flecky Sam and his pet monkey. Oh, Flecky Sam and the monkey. Just the Badger. The Badger. Fat Martha. Nice. And my favourite, Shiny Trousers Jack. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine Shiny Trousers Jack. <laughs> Blinded people were. <laughs> you could see him a mile off coming down the street. There's just no explanation <laughs> for it. Well, I'm sure he had very shiny trousers. It seems fairly obvious to me, to be honest. I feel like Shiny Trousers may figure into another case later on that he was dealing with. But yeah, he was the only one wearing like fantastic gold lame pants walking down. He was a mirable. <laughs> he, was, he was a grim, but he was stylish. He was stylish, absolutely. He would also pose as a labourer or workman at the races. Big, big area for crime to catch the pickpockets operating there. So they would just be wandering through the crowds, pulling out wallets and, and purses and watches. On one occasion, he was in disguise and his disguise was so good. <laughs> yes, He apprehended a gang who had been caught stealing from people and they had stolen a pocket watch from the chief constable of the police force himself. Ooh himself and they'd caught the gang brought them back to the station whole big bit sort of run around with them and involving the trains and sort of catching them and they were in the station and then the chief constable walked in to report the crime he'd, he'd, he'd worked out mm. while all this was going on that that his, his watch was missing <laughs> his watch was missing Caminata, ever the showman came up and said sir i have your pocket oh, have watch your watch 
And the constable was like, who the fuck are you? Because he was still in disguise. And there was just a back and forth. He was like, no, I have your watch. I'm going, arrest this man, arrest this man. No, Brilliant. it's me. It's me. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Until he was like, no, no, let me take off my disguise. Here we go. Hello. And then the chief constable went, oh, right. This is embarrassing for me on all parts. And sort of left the room. <laughs> yes, like it. Another story. Now, I really want you to brace yourself, Nick, for okay. the severity of this crime. Yeah. Someone had been stealing sheet music from the free trade hall. My God. <laughs> Bastards. I mean, has ever a worse crime been committed on this podcast? Yeah, this, <laughs> this story. I don't know why, but it's a story. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Well, it, can't, it can't be cheap to produce sheet, sheet music. Well, let's, let's assume it's pricey. You know, yeah. obviously it's... Worth a few pennies. 1800s, so I don't know what the production of sheet music is like. So maybe it's an absolute gold mine. <laughs> And maybe it's very scarce. The sheet music is not mass produced. It could be the latest funky tunes. Oh my God, yeah. Hot off the press. Hot off the press. Absolutely. So in the free trade hall, sheet music is going missing. What are the orchestra to play? What do they do to feed their children in order to crack down on this monster? Caminada came to the free trade hall and he hid inside a fake piano box. Nice. In my head, I thought he hid inside the organ. You were, you were, you were just there. <laughs> I was just there. Just there. In inside a piano box, drilled some holes in it to just watch. Brilliant. And that's what he did for several hours. Um, he spied on people as they came in. The conductor came in. The orchestra came in. The librarian of the hall came in, chatting to everyone. And he's watching and he's watching and he's watching. And they play the concert. The musicians go out. And they are leaning their instruments on the piano box as they go. But Caminada spies, after everyone has left the building, the librarian stays behind, Ooh. rifles through the sheet music and starts pocketing it. Always librarian. Librarian leaves. Caminada has his man. Tries to get out. Ah! Shit. There's a piano on top of my box. <laughs> There's a piano on top of my piano box. Now, all the fiddles, all the fiddles have been piled up. And I suppose he must be thinking, look, I can't just sort of knock this yeah. over because these are all really expensive, expensive violins. Things. The only person who is left in the building is the gas man who's extinguishing the gas stage lights. <laughs> and he's walking around. And Caminata calls out and goes, shift these fiddles. The gas man shits himself. Yeah, I'm not surprised. There's a fucking fiddle obsessed ghost around there. <laughs> he is convinced it's a ghost. Looks around and apparently, according to Caminata, just kept putting out the things, shaking like surprised. a leaf. And he keeps going, shift these fiddles. No, I'm not hearing it. It's fine. I, I can't hear it. It's okay. It's okay. Rubbing rabbit's feet. Not again. Not again. Not fiddly ghost. <laughs> Until Caminata eventually shouts out, I'm no ghost, but flesh and blood like yourself. And I'm so, in the bloody box. <laughs> I'm in the box. The gas man comes, removes the fiddles from the box, and Caminata comes out and continues to try and explain to the gas man. The gas man still thinks he's a ghost. <laughs> and apparently the gas man never spoke of this incident again. Well, why would you? Just traumatized. <laughs> and Caminata was like, no, I'm real. I'm real. He's like, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. just walks <laughs> off the stage. Never to nice. be heard of never, never seen again. <laughs> Just white as a sheet, shaking in a and corner. And he's still walking to this day. <laughs> so there you go. It's like, like mm. it. Oh, poor gas man. 
<laughs> Poor gas man. Now, you know, the main crime that I'm going to come to is going to feel sad in comparison to this, but I still have one more. One that's not even his main crime. Oh, God, okay. Particularly fine incident. Now, this was in 1885. I did find one report that said it was in 1880. Let's not split hairs. It's around this time. Caminata was informed of an event of immoral character. <gasps> Taking place at the Temperance Hall of all places. Oh my God, that's not mm. what you want in moral events. 120 people were due to attend this ball under the name of the Association of Pawnbrokers Assistants. Right. An entirely different type of pawn. <laughs> <laughs> very, very immoral. It's not. I mean, I don't know where your mind's going to. <laughs> well, where's your mind going to? Well, so, well it's very debauched now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I do like that it's the pawnbroker's assistants because they need a party too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Carmenada, his plainclothes police officers, gathered around the venue, watching clock it, see who turns up. And they see carriages arrive, mostly men. They're all carrying travel bags, boxes. Okay. They're going to go inside. Some, see if you dress rather finely, there's some men of wearing military Outfits. It's slightly old-fashioned, kind of, sort of almost historical military outfits. Okay. Then they see some ladies arriving. Ladies are wearing quite low-cut. Revealing things. Ball gowns, yeah. Nice accessories. The, but wait a minute. Oh, no, those are boys too. <gasps> 47 men he saw arrive, 22 of which were dressed as ladies. Oh, what a very jolly time they're having. He is observing a cross-dressing ball. Nice. Like it. Oh, live your best life, guys. Live have, your best have life. Have a grand old time. The windows of the hall had all been covered up. Ah. Because at the time, of course, anything approaching this is deemed as a crime. Oh, it's in- entirely immoral. Immoral. So an instance of homosexuality yeah. would be absolutely, it's a criminal offence. However, this is a this is a cross-dressing ball. They're yeah. all dressing up. Are they doing anything bad? Mm. The best part of this, the music is provided by a blind harmonium player. Nice. Well, he can, but he, but he can bear no witness. He doesn't so, know what's, so what's what's going on. And either, that's good for him. He either knew exactly what was going on and was like, I'm blind and I'm happy, or was just turning up, what am I playing? Is it a church service? Yes, yes. sure. Why not? Yes. Why not? It's, Everyone seems to be having a lovely time. Yeah, yeah just play, bitch. It's a, it's a grand ball for very <laughs> refined ladies. <laughs> Play lovely tunes. <laughs> dance, dance for me. Uh, as would later be reported in the press, the company performed grotesque dances as familiar in low-class music halls. <gasps> My, not low-class low music halls. Low-class music halls. So Caminata waits quite a while. <laughs> quite a while. Just uh, watching and going, mm. I, I like how they've done their hair. Yes. I like their eyeliner. It's I, like nice. that I like that dress. I like at 1am, the ball is raided. Caminata, again, not just going to smash the doors in and kind of like give people a chance to escape. He gets the password. Oh. He gets the password. I think it's sister. To get okay. in. He gets the password. He gains entry and all the officers run in. Yeah. They run in. They storm. Big fights breaking out. <laughs> so everyone's fighting each other. There's some men fighting, trying to get their dresses off. Yeah. <laughs> Literally trying to get their dresses off. Some officers confused. Are they punching boys or girls? What's happening? Some girls fight beating the <laughs> shit out of them. And they're like, which one are you? I don't know. <laughs> there was one report of one man who ran up to the roof, tried to get across the roof, fell through a skylight and fell right back into the fray of the fighting <laughs> and then jumped out a window. 
Those who were caught were charged with misdemeanours. It was called one of the foulest and most disgraceful orgies that ever approached town. Now, what they were doing in there, maybe they were, they were probably having a lovely dance. Just having a nice dance. Just having a lovely dance. Interestingly enough, the magistrate made sure to point out that all the men had come from Sheffield and not Manchester. <laughs> They're not from round here. <laughs> They're not from round here. But they were all charged with misdemeanours, actually. Mm. There were apparently... I tried to look into this a little bit further, but there weren't really convictions for homosexuality yeah. because of that scale, it would be deemed as scandal on the whole of Manchester. Oh, yes, absolutely. So misdemeanours. And there was even a report that some of the men had been paid to never mention this again. Like, we will let you off. Yeah. You don't ever speak of Just, this again. Yes, this, this, this never happened. This never happened. By 1888, Caminada had been promoted to inspector. He had sent apparently 1,255 criminals to jail. Not Jack the Ripper, though. <laughs> Bastard. Closed 400 pubs. The number of cases he was involved in was staggering, and the stories are amazing. The Evening Telegraph of Manchester described him as a terror to evildoers, and his commitment to the work, even walking streets at night in plain clothes, when he was off duty, put the fear of God into many. But the case he would be known for was the Manchester Cab Mystery. <gasps> and I think that's time for a drink. Yes, yes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Nick, we have our drinks. We do. Now we must come along to the case that would make Gaminata famous. Oh. 
And after all the cases I've spoken about, it may seem a bit dull. Oh, well, yeah, indeed. I think of the frock one. Surely that may be <laughs> But it's pretty solid. This would be his biggest case, certainly the most famous, and it would secure his reputation as one of the best detectives in all of England. Around 6.30pm on the 26th of February 1889, businessman John Fletcher was on the steps of Manchester Cathedral waiting to hail a handsome cab. <laughs> Probably the name of the crime, give it away, it's a cab. Now, John Fletcher was a senior partner at a paper manufacturer. very wealthy, very well known in the area. He was also a councillor for the Lancashire County Council. So had quite the reputation, quite well known, which is what really makes this crime famous. He had spent a very pleasant afternoon day drinking. Nice. Yes, visiting the various pubs and, you know, consuming gin. He was known to consume quite a lot of gin. Good for him. Had quite the constitution for it as well. And he was in the company of a young man. Okay. A young man. No one really knew who he was, but he was only happy to drink with him, and Fletcher was buying the pints as they went along. The pints now, of gin? The, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, my friend. Sounds terrifying. Yeah. They enjoyed many a beverage. And they hailed the cab. Cab turns up, and they go along the way, and they stop at another pub. For a couple of pints. Okay. And they asked the cab to wait. Can you please wait for us? It's just a swift one. Just a bit of a just, thirst. Just, a bit of a thirst. Just, yes. They go in two pints of bitter. Down, down, down. La, 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 la. Then continue on their journey. The cab is making its way across Manchester. It's headed towards Old Trafford. As they're moving through the city, the cab had to wait for a time for a procession from Mexican Joe's Wild West show to pass by the streets. Okay, good old Mexican Joe. The driver has to wait for a bit. There's a little bit that he has to walk his own horse. But in this pause, and just before they get on their way, a passerby shouts out, hey, a young man has jumped out of your cab. <gasps> and he's like, "Have you? Have, is he fair dodging? Mm. He's like, okay, well, there were two of them. So the driver gets down, guy is gone. He opens the back door and he sees John Fletcher in the back of the cab and he's sort of slumped semi-conscious now the driver could tell they were drunk when he picked them up mm. asked john fletcher if he's all right and john fletcher just sort of slurs that it's just is fine it's, it's fine right, carry it's on fine. carry on leave, leave me alone the driver keeps on his way but he's worried about john fletcher he's worried about his state and he heads back to the cathedral because the man is so unconscious now he doesn't really know where he's going when he arrives there, John Fletcher, is he cannot rouse him. So he calls for a police officer to help him remove this pissed man from his cab. Mm. But when they try to move him, they find he's more than drunk. He's completely unresponsive. Ooh, that's not so good. They hightail it as fast as they can to the Royal Infirmary, where John Fletcher is pronounced dead yeah, on arrival. Now, there are no injuries to the body. I was say, no, no obvious blood gushing from no, a wound. Nothing like that. The man has been drinking all day, so the infirmary go, okay, well, has he died from alcohol poisoning? Has he just had a bit too need much? A lot to die from alcohol poisoning in a day. Well, it's available in the Victorian uh, era. Okay. I mean, depending what he's had, and also he's yeah. drinking gin, and is it going to be the best quality That's of very gin? True. That's very true. He was known, as they examine him, it is determined that the man consumed a lot of gin in his life he, he was he was fine with it but he'd been happily paying for drinks for another person given that he'd been paying for drinks all night his personal possessions are not there ah you're so, some sort of wallet yes a wallet his watch all of these things okay something's not adding up yeah this man has now died no obvious injury maybe he's drunk himself to death but someone has taken his things in most cases the authorities would have put this down to an unfortunate accident, a horrible crime that will forever remain unsolved. 
but not Nick. Not when well, detective. detective Jerome Caminata is on the beat. God damn it! Oh, he will solve it. He is assigned the case, and he digs into Fletcher's life, but really the day of his death. On his last day alive, Fletcher had been drinking, yes, and he was said to be in full control of his faculties. He was a hard drinker, but he was a hard drinker. He was used to doing this, and he could walk around, and he was perfectly capable of holding a conversation, conducting his business. He'd been due to dine at a popular fish restaurant, but he'd cancelled his appointment and he'd been seen at a market stall before he'd boarded the cab meeting this young man this young man in a brown suit and a chimney pot hat nice i've never heard of a chimney pot hat before do you know of it no what's it like is it is it basically a chimney yeah it's like lincoln is quite famous for his chimney pot it's like a really tall top hat. a stove top hat yeah like a stove oh stove yeah well i think that's the same thing Oh, well, it might not be. Maybe yeah, the man had a chimney on his head and <laughs> the many, Fletcher many was years. like, I want to party with you. <laughs> many years later, a song was written about it. <laughs> what? They're going to look like with the chimney on. They were singing that yeah. and then they got in the gap. I never understood um, that song. It was said when the young man and him were seen at the market before they were getting into the cab that Fletcher's clothes had been slightly disarranged. Okay. The businessman, he was just kind of a little bit disheveled. Okay, whatever. Then they flagged down the cab. Fletcher mm. is dead. Now, Caminata traced and spoke to every single witness, every person involved to piece together the scene. He wanted to piece together a picture mm. of what had happened on that day down to the finest detail, the direction nice. everyone had been traveling and the direction of people had been seen. He worked out where the young man had been when he fled the cab and which direction he had run in. And he followed the trail to find that the man had been seen later in another pub, now with an expensive looking watch and chain. And he was drinking milk and soda water at this pub. It doesn't sound like a good combo. No, it's not a good combo. It's no, not a good combo. I don't, I don't want to try that cocktail. Milk and soda water. Sparkly milk. Sparkly milk. Then he headed for another cab and arrived at another pub. Camelotta then pondered the man's appearance and his drinking locations. One of the pubs he visited was known to be popular with amateur boxers. And the man seemed to match a description that might have made him similar to the son of a famous prize fighter, John Pig Jack Parton. <laughs> now, Parton Senior was a pub landlord after his boxing career, and he had a sly line in drugging his customers. Jolly. Also, his former opponents so made him so <laughs> successful. The drug that he used was chloral hydrate, <laughs> which was a popular drug to treat insomnia that many prominent businessmen like John Fletcher would have used. Had Pig Jack's son, Charles picked up a trick or two from his dad. Mm. Caminata tracked down the 18-year-old's son to his home and arrested him. On his arrest, he was positively identified by the various witnesses and he was sent to trial in March. The victim's stomach was sent for analysis and yes, chloral hydrate was found there. Mm. But the trouble was the cause of death is still inconclusive. It's not determined that the man had died from being poisoned or having an overdose or really who had given it to him at all there's nothing that can link charles to the location apart from people had seen him and who's to say he gave him the poison or the would-be poison charles insists that he had yes indeed bought chloral hydrate it was noted by a local Mm -hmm. druggist but it was for his parents because they had various ailments you see but then caminada worked tirelessly investigating and speaking to everyone in every single pub that the pair had been to and that the young man had been to. And he obtained a witness who confirmed 
that he had seen Charles Parton pouring a vial of liquid into Fletcher's drink while they were at the Three Arrows pub. Good investigating. The defence would, of course, insist this eyewitness account was all lies. This is a very high-profile murder case because Mm -hmm. it's a prominent businessman and a counsellor. He's just desperate to be involved in the case. That's why this person has made it up. Wants his five minutes of fame in the papers. But it was admitted and the jury believed him. Charles Palton was found guilty. His death sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. And it was, as the foreman of the jury said, the great skill and assiduity of Mr. Carmenada that conducted the case that had led to the conviction. Good for him. It had taken Carmenada three weeks to prove that Fletcher's death would not only murder, but also bring a perpetrator to the trial. Whereas anyone else, it was widely assumed, would have just let this die. Yep, would have just forgotten about it. Unfortunate incident. The case was a sensation, catapulted Carmenada's fame even further. Given that the case occurred right when Arthur Conan Doyle first introduced Sherlock Holmes to the world, there was no other title that would be given to this policeman <laughs> than the Sherlock Holmes of Manchester. Nice. As I said, Caminada was involved in many, many fascinating cases for the rest of his career, many of which oddly mirror Holmes's story. There's, there's, okay. there's various, you know, fancy, attractive women, so like a scandal in Bohemia and nice. so forth. He also had a 20-year rivalry <laughs> with his own sort of Moriarty, a criminal named uh, Bob Horridge, a notorious criminal, and they ended up having this big showdown in the street, and nice. then he was put to jail. So, so it's really, really yeah. similar to Sherlock Holmes, and these are all recorded. <laughs> His callings, he was pretty dismissive of. He was as arrogant yeah. as Sherlock Holmes. He was very he was very happy with, like, I'm the best policeman the best, out, there. Best one out there. He didn't make a lot of friends. That kind of didn't help him later in his career. His career had done very, very well. But when there was changes in senior staffing in Manchester Police, he sort of fell out of favour a little bit. But he was getting older and he was getting on. He did have a personal life. He married in 1881 to a woman named Amelia. They lived in Old Trafford. They would have three children. Three of them would die in infancy. And so he dealt with his fair share of heartache. Mm. Again, it was thought to be this congenital issue. They had two more children who would survive. He retired from the police force in 1899 and became a private detective and a city councillor. He would die in 1914, age 70, the year the final Sherlock Holmes book was published. (laughs) He died of a combination of various things, according to different sources. Heart disease, flu, injuries sustained from a bus hitting him the previous year. That bus had powerful friends. But on his death, his work was greatly praised by all who knew him. He was called not only the Sherlock Holmes of Manchester, but the Garibaldi of detectives. (laughs) Because of his Italian heritage, which is a bit like, okay, okay, fine, let's do that. Crowbar that one in. (laughs) A man of resource, intelligence, energy and initiative, it was said. A man who came from the slums to clean up the city with flamboyant flair. (laughs) And it makes us think, what would have happened if he had been based in London at the same time period? Could he have caught... A ripper. <laughs> and that is the story of the Sherlock Holmes of Manchester, John Caminada. How, yes, how have we not heard of this man before? I know. Brilliant, brilliant <laughs> tales. Brilliant tales. As I said, all credit to the book, uh, The Real Sherlock Holmes, Angela Buckley's book, because she, she goes into such detail and she's done such great research. 
into all of the cases, all of that juicy, juicy detail of the ludicrous things that yeah. he did. But he won. He did it. But he, he got it. it. Absolutely. They were all successful. Mm. So ludicrousness pays off in the end. <laughs> crime fighting man. Crime busting dude. <laughs> yes. What do you think of his various methods? Oh, brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Inspired. I like the, I like the undercover. Yeah. I like the, yes, going in disguise and especially disguised as a box. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. He's also tried to track people down disguised, disguised as a real ghost. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he just was thinking, okay, fine, I'll pretend to be these people. It's not that hard. Yeah. Um, he actually apparently had to keep using disguises later because so many people went on his beat recognized him and the criminals recognized him. That's probably when you become famous, then absolutely, if, you, if your picture's in the papers and everything, yeah. not very good for undercover work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So he had to keep up these disguises, try and break up various things. But then he taught others and they used his methods. So there you go. Oh, very good. Fancy, fancy. Well, what do you think, people? What do you think of Jerome Caminada? What do you think of all of his methods to uncover criminal rings and <laughs> dastardly doings in Manchester? What do you think of the cross-dressing ball? What I mean, what could he have done to really amp up the, the, the camp in that, actually, of him sort of breaking in? Because all he did was have a password and go, oh, I'm here. He just left him to it. Yeah, just left him to it. Well, he, he left it for a while. Apparently, it was a good three hours that he was waiting, watching. Let me just make absolutely really, really sure. sure. Oh, all right. They've, they've done all the good dances now. <laughs> all the good tunes are into the new stuff. <laughs> What do you think about his disguises in the orchestra as well? And the greatest crime of all, stealing sheet music. Tell us your thoughts and your theories. Jump on the comments of this episode and share everything that you could possibly think of about this story. And tell us more characters that we can be covering in future episodes. But most importantly, mix up the getaway. That was damn nice, that was. It was really nice. Hi. Yes. Crowbar the reference in. (laughs) Got there eventually. Hey, but you know what? Rum and lime. Rum and lime and, and sugar. Other stuff. And yeah, you Always can't go works. wrong. You can't no, go you can't wrong. go wrong. Also, Medea is now just chasing her tail on the table. It's entirely insane. Yep, absolutely. So again, there's been cat noises all the way through it. If you haven't already, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Come and join us on Patreon if you want to have more content from us each week and also get involved in things like book chats that we do and watch videos from us. We'd love to hear more suggestions of more content that we can be doing for you in the future, especially as we approach the festive season. Mm, Is there more Christmassy crime out there? Christmas, Christmas, Christmas death christmas death (laughs) we'd love to know what you think thanks for listening guys we have been the people inside the poisoner's cabinet we will see you next week and remember your loved ones are trying to kill you